some bright morning when this life is over I'll fly away to that home on God's celestial shore I'll fly away I'll fly away oh glory I'll fly away when I die hallelujah by and by I'll fly away when the shadows of this life have gone I'll fly away like a bird from these prison walls I'll fly I'll fly away I'll fly away oh glory I'll fly away when I die hallelujah by and by I'll fly away oh how glad and happy when we meet I'll fly away no more cold iron shackles on my feet I'll fly away I'll fly away oh glory I'll fly away when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Just a few more weary days and then, I'll fly away to a land where joys will never end. I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll Solve the World, a fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. Episode 96. Jen, hear my confession. I'm not a priest. No, confess to yourself. Please. Why? Because I need you to. Okay. Okay. Jen, please forgive me. I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against God. What'd you do? When you... 
You... You remember what happened? Right? You can remember? That fat priest married us. Yes, yes. When that happened, and then... These people... I guess must have followed me to you. I thought... I believed. No, I became convinced that you were... That... That you were... Were... What? Were what, father? Damned. Is it a sin to think that? No, not necessarily. But I... I... I know better than to think that way. Think what way? Theology is a tricky thing. It's, uh... It's like a complex mousetrap. Run the maze correctly, and it leads you to the cheese. But as soon as you enter it, following the twists and turns that it entails, you can easily get entangled by the game itself. <sighs> okay, your, your analogy's too muddy. I don't get it. I don't understand. We... We... People like me, that become priests and pastors, spiritual shepherds. It's easy for us, I think easier for us than the average person, to paint the world based on our knowledge, to use our teachings and doctrines to emasculate the personality of God. To emasculate the personality of God. Not sure you're getting any clearer there, Thomas. When we were caught, I thought... She's damned. It's all over for Jen. She's past the point of no return. She... she can't undo what she did. You think I'm unforgivable? <sighs> yes, that about sums it up. What if I am? Please, forgive me for thinking that. Of course, of course you're not. You can never, ever be too far gone. Well, what if I did something really bad? and then died before I could get forgiven. In seminary, we vigorously debated issues like that. Some of us were convinced that, for instance, suicide was an unforgivable sin. How can God forgive you if you're already gone? Doesn't that, you know, make sense though, if you believe in all that stuff? That's the crutch. That's what we fall onto when we feel desperate. We're unsure of ourselves, so we hold on to these laws of logic and space. We build these structures in our mind. That's... that's why I must confess to you. I've done that again. I shouldn't have. I'm so sorry, Jennifer. But what if you're right? Doesn't the world work that way? There are, like, uh... I don't know, the, the laws of thermodynamics? The universe follows its necessary path and... and, and stuff like gravity and logic? Make that path straight, eloquently said. Thank you. But it's wrong. Excuse me? It comes down to a simple question. Why is there something instead of nothing? I... I, uh... I... I'll ask it another way. Why are we existing right here, right now, instead of not? Maybe... Um... Maybe... In the dark room, lying on her back, her four limbs chained to four separator hooks in the ground, Jen chose not to say the answer that arose in her heart. Instead, she let Father Thomas answer his own question in the darkness. 
We exist. There is existence. Because there was a start. And in order for there to be a start, somebody had to start it. So what? What does that have to do with anything? How does that disprove thermodynamics? It doesn't. But it points us in the direction of someone instead of something. When I fail, spiritually, emotionally, it's because I'm resting my faith, my self-worth, and my expectations on these rules and laws, not on a person. You think God makes exceptions? Yes, I think he does. Staring into the black void, there was something Jen saw. This blackness, this utter void, this obliterating pitch darkness, had a form. There was a shadow, standing, just above Jen. How one could see his shadow when the whole world's gone dark was not a matter for Jen to speculate on. The truth wasn't hidden. She could see this thing, a shadow in the dark. That's why I'm not damned? You think God made an exception for me? What if I don't want an exception? What if... What if I want to be treated like everybody else? Why should I be the different one? Thomas thought long. He presumed that an appropriate answer would come to him. He prayed over and over in his mind. God, give me the right words. Give me your wisdom. Help me build her up. Let me be a vessel for her renewal. Lord, give me the words. Please. But no answer came. God, so he repeated it give me the right over words. and over. God, All the while, a piercing words. silence reigned right in the bleak dungeon. Give me your wisdom. Help me build her up. Let me be a vessel for her renewal. Give me the words. Give me the words. Please. Sometime later, maybe ten minutes, maybe an hour, maybe a day, Jen broke the abominable silence. Do you believe in hell, Father? Yes. What's it like? I don't know. Are we in hell now? I don't think so. Well, why does there have to be a hell? Why did God make it? I... I, uh... I think God made the story to end well. This thing is supposed to end with a happily ever after. How can there be a happily ever after if there's a hell? See, I think, I think we've got hell wrong. All this about levels of hell and various tortures, that's not what the Bible talks about. What does it say? It's pretty vague. But I think, I think in the end we choose to enter into a happily ever after, or we choose hell. No one would choose hell. No one. Jen was sure of herself. If they do, it's only because they're so hurt or messed up by the world, or ignorant. It wouldn't be their fault. I think hell is what happens when the story undoes itself. What is that supposed to mean? Maybe. Maybe hell is as if you're bringing... Uh, you're, you're asking for a refund. You get back what you started with. So, you get back nothing. That's just my idea of it, yeah. Is nothing so bad? Oh yes, I think so. Why? If God is good, and he created all things, then evil is not a thing. It's the absence of thingness. They went on like that, each philosophizing in their own little way. But eventually, the nothingness of silence overtook them again. 
and the world became one-dimensional once more. Then, a change. Jen replied. There was real fear in Father Thomas's voice. Wherein the last who knows how many hours went by quickly, the minutes that followed for Jennifer Dash, Jennifer the Alone, Jennifer the Shackled, Jennifer the Blind, carried on agonizingly slow. Jen called out weakly. Her head hurt. It felt swollen, like all the blood was rushing to her brain. It was pulsing. Not her head, not the blood vessels that skirted around her cranium, but her actual brain. Pulsing. And... Was that... Was it... Humming? Hello? Again. No answer. The shadow didn't have the mind to make itself known to her. Not yet, at least. Would it ever... Jen wasn't so sure. Time slips. Our girl slipped in and out of consciousness. In one moment of clarity, Jen Dash felt warmth. The sensation at first was quite welcomed. Then the realization. She was urinating. Even so, the fluid created movement, which created a moment. Something that delineated this now from all the other endless nows of the near present. This was something different in an otherwise endless stream of non-movement, non-time. An event enters in, time is proclaimed.
Hello, Jen. Father, are you okay? I'm quite fine. No need to worry. What did they do to you? They just, they just, they just, they just, they just wanted to talk and give me a hard time. Thomas was not being honest. The lie, however, was sacrificial. They took three fingers from Thomas, one at a time. First the left pinky, then the right, then his ring finger. He wanted badly to curl his arms to his chest, to embrace himself and warm his remaining digits. They shook horribly. The feel of absence being torn apart from oneself hadn't yet hit Father Thomas. His body and mind were still in shock. In time, though, he'd feel it. He'd feel the lack. Yes, Father, feel the lack. Let it fade in, softly, slowly, like a warm tide on a cool morning. Jen, what's wrong? I'm fine, really. I'm okay. Jennifer, can you hear me? Yeah, of course I can. Are you okay? Can you hear me? Are your ears okay? Child, why do you moan? Moaning? Had she been moaning? Coming into the moment, letting the harvest of reality sink in and through her being, Jen shut her mouth. She had been moaning. My God, how long had she been doing that? Jen, what's wrong? Jennifer, can you hear me? Child, why do you moan? My head hurts. Thomas didn't respond. That wasn't very nice. I said, my head hurts. Still, no response. Please, talk to me, or be quiet. Your moaning is worse than anything they can do to me. Jen had overdosed on Balaam. But this time, it was Balaam Plus that was galloping Jennifer's body over the edge. It was the drug, plus aching bones, plus exhaustion, minus food and drink, for days on end. Jen's insides were a vessel now, a vessel for a drug. Humans aren't meant to be such things. With the release of the chains, Jen felt a weightless feeling. She tried to stand up, or at least get up on her knees. She couldn't. Her limbs were no longer load-bearing. Then, she was in the air, levitating. A strong man was carrying Jennifer Dash. Back in the depths, Father Thomas prayed urgently. Her system's shutting down. The nerves can't send signals. She can't feel it. She can't feel it. God, don't let her feel the pain. Her body's broken. It's for a reason. It's for a reason. She took the Balaam for herself. You meant her to do it to save her from this moment. She can't feel the pain, the marriage, the marriage, the addiction. It was for a reason. It was for this moment. You gave us this world, God. Don't let her feel it. You set these things in motion. Don't let her feel it. Her body's shutting down. She can't feel it. She can't feel it. She can't feel the pliers. Oh, God, you did this. Protect her. Protect her. Protect her. She can't feel it. Protect her. She can't feel it. She can't feel it. She can't feel it. Protect her. A room. A chair. 
The light was too blinding. There was no way to see in this awful brightness. I thought you were someone special. That voice, Jen thought, still too blind to see. You know that voice, old girl. I thought you'd help me. Who is it? It's too familiar. Our clients, you know, come in two categories. They're all either insanely rich, with enough funds to topple kings and despots, or they are missionaries, people sent to us, paid for by the insanely rich, to fulfill some purpose. That's what I've always called them, missionaries. It fits. They have a service to fulfill, a purpose, a drive. They're the type of people you can't buy. No, it's a special type of person. They're each unique, special little snowflakes. The insanely rich, not having the same instincts within them, find ways to manipulate the missionaries. That's what you have to do. You can't buy that sort of passion. But you can direct it, influence it, bend it to your own chords. Laura, the voice belonged to Laura. By the looks of you, there was no doubt you were a missionary. That's why I reached out to you. I needed help. I had a mission. Her face was starting to come into focus now. The blinding light was dimming. You took advantage of me. <sighs> but that's all done. What's done is done. That's what they say to me. They say, Lara, no one is without pain in this new world. Just my luck that the plague and bombs robs me of even pity. No one cares, Jenny. No one cares. That's not my name. I did not ask you to speak or moan. Keep that trap of yours tightly shut. Put your hand on the table. Jen followed orders. Others in the room, she couldn't quite see who, pulled leather straps out from under the table and tied Jen's appendage down flat. There were pliers in Lara's hand. We'll start slow. Eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. The Bible tells me so. One of the droogs to the side calmly placed a small pocket knife under Jen's pointer fingernail. He dug deep with it. Lara advanced with the pliers, ripping the nail off from the flesh at the root. Every finger, every nail, the same. Her system's shutting down. The nerves can't send signals. She can't feel it. She can't feel it. God. There was a pain, but it was somewhere else, like watching a foreign movie. There were noises that sounded like words, but they didn't compute. Somewhere at the base of the skull, or maybe it was in the frontal lobe, near the eyes, Jen's mind was imputing the sensory information that damage was being done somewhere in the mainframe. But all that really registered was a high-pitched tone vibrating through the concaves of her mind. I never believed in magic. Nope, not me. I believed in science, the will of the spirit. That's what I stuck to. I was good at what I did. I worked hard all my days. Unlike you, I played by the rules. How was a normal person, untouched by grace, supposed to know that there are larger forces at work? Forces stronger than gravity. I have become the patron saint of the ignorant, the patron saint of the abused, the patron saint of the discarded. And you, little Jenny Boo Boo, finally get to be my masterpiece. My master stroke. My sacrifice to the great god Pan. There were more people in the room. More than two or three men in black. How big was this room? 
It seemed to Jen as if it was expanding. Tyrannus, Campus Alticiton, Brutus, Carnsuffer, Iliation, Navacori. Gibberish. No, not gibberish. Some foul language began coming out of Lara's mouth. Others echoed her psalm in whispers. The lights dimmed in Jen's mind. No, they flickered, tilted, and returned. Red, a red glow blared down in the room. Robes. These figures were robed, black robes. One marched to Lara, placed on her a red robe. To Pan, the original magician, the worker of all powers above, I offer this one, the great Jennifer Dash, worshipped throughout the world as the most pure sacrifice, we give you the true sacrificer. A helmet of horns placed on Lara's head. Her system's shutting down. The nerves can't send signals. She can't feel it. She can't feel it. God, let her pain... God, don't let her feel the pain. Her body's broken. It's for a reason. She took the Balaam for herself. You meant her to do it. To save her from this moment. She can't feel the pain, the marriage, the addiction. It was for a reason. It was for this moment. You gave us this world. God, don't let her feel it. You set these things in motion. Don't let her feel it. Her body's shutting down. She can't feel it. She can't feel it. She can't feel the pliers. Oh, God. She can't feel it. She can't feel the scissors. Protect her. Protect her. Protect her. Large talons. Just like scissors. But sharper. Larger. Lara approaches with them. Every finger taken, every one a sacrifice. As it happens, the hideousness of the evil abounding before Jen was overshadowed in Jen's eyes by, now, an enormous shadow, the one from before. It was here. It enveloped the room, the world, and it provided a cover, a certain cocoon. It is not helpful to experience this awful moment objectively. With your eyes and ears, there's nothing worse than this. Jen is being sacrificed, piece by piece, to monsters. Lara, after she saw her nephew sacrificed in the YouTube video of Lilith Babbitt's ascension, became an instrument of revenge. As the name Jennifer Dash became continually elevated, attached to the lips of every curious soul on Earth, Lara's anger ever burned brighter. In her heart, she was right. At least in part. Justice would have been her innocent nephew surviving the fates, and the wicked ruler Babbitt and all her hench people humiliated in public, shown to be the vampires they are. But that's not how the world turned. No, the unjust conquered. Jennifer Dash, in Lara's eyes, embodied the brokenness of justice. So Lara became what she called a missionary, someone unappeasable, uncompromisable, unsatiable, unsinkable. She was used, you see, manipulated, contorted, elevated to a place of power in order to pluck Jennifer Dash out of thin air. The project proved much more difficult than one could ever suspect. In the beginning, both Lara and her investor were happy to just wipe Dash off the face of the earth, eliminate her. But in time, both Lara and her investor turned courses. Lara found her redemption through magic. 
There was a reality to the sacrifice of her nephew she couldn't ignore. It worked. The sacrifice worked. As she continued to fail at catching the young lady of her lore, Lara devised ways in which to procure more power. Magic had to be that way. Colts sprung up like weeds in the wake of Babbitt and the bombs. Lara joined the one that had the most gravitas, the worship of the great god Pan. With all the fingers gone, Lara took the hand. A torch fire burned in the corner of the room. It floated towards Jed. The flames codified the wound. Her system's shutting down. The nerves can't send signals. She can't feel it. She can't feel it. God, you set these things in motion. Don't let her feel it. Her body's shutting down. She can't feel it. She can't feel it. She can't feel the pliers. Oh, God, you did this. Protect her, protect her, protect her, protect her, protect her, protect her from the pain. Jen awoke in a hospital room, hooked up to an IV. Father Thomas lay awake reading the Bible in the bed beside her. A nurse, at least a woman dressed as a nurse with a covering over her mouth, saw Jen awake, squirming in her bed, and quickly ran out the door. There were no chains, no darkness this time. A big window presented a pleasant little garden just a stone's throw away. The fog didn't seem quite as thick here as it had been. We can run if you want, Father Thomas spoke. We can escape. Might make it. There's a... There's a chance, at least. His hand was all gauzed up. Jen looked down at her hand. It was gone. Again. A man hurried in. He was dressed in a brown three-piece suit. He grabbed at a sliding chair, swung it to Jen's side, and sat. It was Mark Janner, the blood-sucking lawyer. I'm sorry. You've been through a lot. If it pleases you to hear, she's been disposed. Her and all her crazy horn-wearing pagans. Disposed. Do you understand? You know what that means? They will never hurt you again. They can't. No one is going to hurt you anymore, Jen. Jen stared at the man. She noticed a gold chain leading into his breastcoat pocket. Probably a pocket watch. Follow the white rabbit with the breastcoat pocket watch, Jen thought. Can you hear me? Say something. With drugs of all colors and ingredients pumping through her veins, Jennifer Dash had neither the wherewithal or the bravura, to say a word. It's okay. Blink if you can hear me. I know you've been through a lot. She did blink then. She did. I've saved you. You know who I am. You know. Mark Janner, former Love Babbitt puppet lawyer, hesitated. You know that I don't do things pro bono. I am. I have not lived a good life. He paused again as if expecting a response from Jennifer. A slow head nod of affirmation, a twinkle of the eye telling him it was okay, telling him to go on. She gave him nothing besides a cold stare. There's got to be a way for someone like me, a way to repentance, a way to awe, stare. You have the answer. I know it. I know it in my heart. You're, you're so ordinary. The earth has chosen you, Jennifer. It's chosen you. You're special that way. Everything revolves around you. I hate that that's true, but it is. It's the end of the universe, isn't it? Stare. Isn't it? Stare. Blink if you agree. Stare. That's fine, that's fine. Here's the deal. These ladders, surely you've heard of them by now. Seen them? Stare. She has. 
Thomas said from the other bed. Good, good. Listen, I've been traveling. They're all over the place. Some of them, they're littered with bodies all around. Do you understand? People are falling off of them. There was an assistant, another well-dressed man, standing behind Janner. He turned to him and said, Go get the map, please. The assistant hurried off. There are thousands of them. I got to thinking. This is some sort of test. That's the only reason that makes sense. I stood next to a 25-year-old rock climber. He was a specimen. He fell. That's not possible. He shouldn't have fallen. Someone, or something, pushed him. Some, maybe most, of the ladders are traps. The assistant hustled back in, holding up a large poster board map. There were hundreds of pins in it. Each of these pins represents a ladder we've verified. A lot of hard work went into building this map. Information is suddenly hard to come by, as you may well know. Janner wanted Jen to help him. He didn't like having to spell everything out. He felt like the conclusion was obvious. He knew it, she knew it, everyone in the room knew it, but she was forcing him to humble himself. Fine. I don't want to fall, Jen. Isn't that reasonable? I don't want to fall. I don't want to die. Which ladder should I climb? Stare. Can you answer me? You must know. In your heart. We'll go there together. You and I. We'll climb one after the other. Stare. Okay, there's time. Not much, but some. Get some rest. I'll ask again later. The two men left. Jen turned in her bed on her side, facing Father Thomas. She... She couldn't speak. Couldn't or wouldn't. How do you live through what she just went through? How do you do that and find room to speak again? Still, Jennifer Dash bent her eyebrows and motioned with her good hand towards Father Thomas. He responded, This is good, Jen. Climb. Climb. Get out of this world. A tear formed, bounded together at the cusp, and then fell silently off Jen's cheek. God has given you a way out, a breath in this darkness. Jen shook her head. No, 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 the emphatic shake implied. I saw on his map, there's a ladder in Jerusalem where Jesus died in Jerusalem. Go there. My God will show you mercy, child. Maybe me too. When Janner came back, Jen pointed at the map, pointed her twice-pillaged arm at Jerusalem. 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 May God have mercy on us in Jerusalem. Janner smiled. They left soon after. The road would be long. A Humvee on the shores of Japan. A boat to mainland China. Then on the ground transportation across China. Up north to Kazakhstan. Then southwest through Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Iran, Syria, into Israel. And finally to Jerusalem, the holy city. But all that was ahead of them. Now, a silent gent sat in the back of a Humvee besides Father Thomas and Mark Janner at the very beginning of a long voyage. As Jen sat and the road bumped along, she noticed for the first time the shadow creature, here, returned. At first, it was just a spot hovering in the corner just above the left backseat window. Then, it grew. It grew and blossomed. It enveloped Jen Dash and took her away. Without Dash in tow, Janner, furious that his precious cargo somehow evaporated from his presence, decided it best to continue on, make haste to Jerusalem. 
Once there, finally, in the presence of the Western Wall, Father Thomas took the initiative. He climbed. He did not fall. As for Mark Janner, he hesitated. Of course, the Jerusalem Wall would accept a priest. Maybe it wasn't about choosing the objectively right ladder, but the subjectively right ladder for you. He hesitated and hesitated and hesitated. He never climbed. Never, ever, ever. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. All right. Thanks for sticking with us uh, through this episode. It was a hard one, but uh, I promise you it gets easier after this. Just four more episodes of Solve the World left, guys. Um, We're almost through it now. Uh, All the music and sound effects used in this episode and every other episode of Solve the World are appropriately attributed on our show notes page at DanteStack.com. And once again, for the final time, I want to especially thank Justin Boats, the voice and talent of Pied Piper. He has made Solve the World infinitely better, and I am in his debt for his talent. Thank you, Justin, and uh, we'll see you next week, guys. Don't forget, tip jar. I would appreciate you throwing me a buck or two uh, for services rendered. Go to DanteStack.com slash T-I-P dash J-A-R. Or just go to DanteStack.com and look for the tip jar icon and toss me a buck. You can do so using PayPal or Stripe. All right. See you next week.